welcome to this edition of the Gateway Podcast. For more information about our faith community, feel free to visit gatewaychurch.org.nz. Thanks for tuning in and enjoy this message. We've been talking over the last few Sunday nights on the power, person, uh, the pictures of the Holy Spirit. And last Sunday, um, we broke that series. Matt uh, shared with you about listening. The week before, I talked to you about um, the the dove as a picture of the Holy Spirit. And one of the points of really fruitful study, if you ever want to do some Bible study, is to go to the Scriptures and look at the symbols of the Holy Spirit and what they they tell us about this particular uh, person, the beauty of his character, aspects of his ministry. Um, So we looked at the dove. Uh, There's something like between 24 and 26 symbols that the scripture uses to describe the Holy Spirit. And before you sort of gasp and think, is he going to do this for the next 26 weeks? No, I'm not. I'm just picking out a few that are common and kind of exploring what they might look like in terms of telling us something about the beauty of this person. So we looked at the dove. Tonight I want to look at at a symbol that's used a great deal, uh, and it's the symbol of fire. So Luke chapter 3, verse 16, all of you have, all of you know John 3, 16, you know, you see the World Cup and somebody somewhere in the crowd will be holding up a sign, John 3, 16. I've never seen Luke 3, 16, but, but we should because it's an incredibly powerful scripture. Uh, Luke, uh, John 3, 16, of course, talks about Jesus coming as the Savior. Luke 3, 16 talks about Jesus in his ministry as the baptizer in the Holy Spirit. And it says, John answered, saying to all, I indeed baptize you with water, but one mightier than I is coming, whose sandal strap I am not worthy to loose. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. So we could take a number of scriptures to introduce this idea as the Holy Spirit being fire. Perhaps another one might be Revelation chapter 4 verse 5 where we pictured the throne room of heaven and it says, And out of the throne came lightnings and thunderings and voices and seven lamps of fire were burning in front of the throne which are the seven spirits of God. Now, obviously, that passage isn't suggesting that there are seven Holy Spirits. What that is doing is... Is seven is a symbolic number that speaks of completeness or fullness. And so it's talking about the completeness or the fullness of the Holy Spirit's person and ministry. The Amplified Bible says, which are the seven spirits of God, the sevenfold Holy Spirit. So this sevenfold uh, fullness is described uh, in the symbol of fire. And fire is a particularly apt symbol to describe the person and ministry of the Holy Spirit, and tonight I just want to unfold several reasons as to why that is. Why is fire such an appropriate symbol for this person? Well, firstly, fire is, it's the nature of fire to reveal. Fire always reveals the true nature of the substance that it seizes on. One way, for example, of finding out whether what is purported to be gold actually is gold or not, is to put it in the fire, and the fire will reveal its nature. So 1 Peter chapter, 5, uh, 1, Peter chapter 1 verse 7 talks about our faith being tested as gold uh, uh, is when it's put in the fire, and it says, so that the trial of your faith, being much more precious than that of gold that perishes, 
but being proven through fire might be found to praise and honor and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So fire reveals the nature of the thing that it seizes. A final test of a diamond's quality is the test of fire. When Jesus came to the churches in the book of Revelation, John sought to describe what he saw, and he fumbled and stumbled with the language, really, to try and describe the indescribable. And he looked at Jesus' eyes, and he noted his penetrating, searching gaze and described him as having eyes of fire, eyes that have this capacity to, to reveal, eyes that you cannot hide from. And in the opening chapters of the book of Revelation, he searches the seven churches and he sees beyond the outward facade to the inward reality. He sees the lost love of the church of Ephesus. He sees the worldliness of Thyatira. He sees that Sardis has a reputation for being alive, but isn't. He sees the lukewarmness of the Laodicean church. He sees the faithful and troubled in the church of Smyrna. There is nothing that can hide from that penetrating gaze. It goes beyond our defenses and it reveals the inner conditions of our heart. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 13 says, There is neither any creature that is not manifest in his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him with whom we have to do. The ministry of the Holy Spirit is always revealing. And one of the things that he does is that he comes to search our heart, to reveal what is truly there. And frankly, only he can do it. You know, I don't know, well, I do know about you. You're the same as me. Even we don't know all of the things that are in our own heart. You know, Jeremiah talked about our hearts being deceitfully wicked beyond all things. Who can know them? And the answer is you can't and your parents can't, and your spouse can't, and your best friends can't. They'll know something of you, but even you don't know fully your own heart. Even, even the redeemed heart has an incredible capacity for self-deception. That's why Proverbs says a man's ways seem right to him, but the Lord weighs the heart. You know, we want to embark on a certain course of action, and I don't know about you, but when I've decided what I want to do, I can be very convincing. You know, uh, Karen sometimes said to me, says to me, you are good with words, and you can convince almost everybody when you've set your heart on something. She said, I could come in, and you could, hand, you could have your hand in the cookie jar, and, and uh, a cookie jar that I'd told you not to touch, and in a moment, you could talk your way out of it. You could say you were rearranging them, you were dusting them, you were talking, you were weighing them to see if the calorific quality had, uh, had somewhat depleted over time. You would provide a convincing argument for your behavior. And I know that's true. It's not very pleasant, but it's true. And you can do the same. You can convince others that what you're about to do is the correct course. You can convince your spouse that it's the right direction. And you can even convince yourself. But I want to tell you, if the Holy Spirit's not convinced, you will not do a snow job on him. And he will stand his ground and simply say, no. And there are some, I was talking about this this morning. There is a weight to his voice. There is mana when he speaks. And, and he doesn't speak in terms of arguing with you. He just speaks. 
And there is something self-authenticating about the Holy Spirit when he speaks like that. He is not a pushover. He's the spirit of truth, and he comes with fire to show us what's truly going on in our hearts. I suggest to you, without the ministry of the Holy Spirit, we are nearly defenseless against the innate tendencies of our own heart to deception. We sing this evening, we are lost without your glory. And it's the truth. We are lost without his ministry in our lives, directing, shaping, shepherding. You know, the, the apostle Paul was even aware of this. The great apostle Paul, he said, listen, it doesn't matter to me if I'm judged by you, he's talking to the Corinthians, or even by a court of law. In fact, he says, I don't even judge myself. I don't know anything against me, but that doesn't prove I'm right. He says, I think in good conscience, I stand before the Lord okay, but I am not the final arbitrator of those things. He is. And when he steps in and speaks, he's the judge. It's his voice. Friends, we need to be open to the fire of the Holy Spirit and to invite him in to reveal anything that is displeasing. You've heard me tell stories, you know, mostly tell the same stories over and over again. I'm not quite sure how you put up with it sometimes. But sometimes I say to the Lord, you know, are we okay? Are we okay? Those of you who have been long married, you know that you have your way of communicating with your spouse when you think maybe there's a bit of tension there and you're not quite sure what's going on. And sometimes I'll say to Karen, are we okay? And if we're not, she'll tell me or I'll know. Nothing. <laughs> oh dear, you know, there's something. You all know how that goes. And sometimes you have to do that to the Holy Spirit. Are we okay? Are we all right? Standing in your presence, letting the light shine, letting the fire burn. Are we okay? And he'll speak to you. It's the prayer that David prayed, by the way, in Psalm 139, when he said, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. See if there's any wicked way in me. Lead me in the way everlasting. The, the word wicked there, the Hebrew word can be sorrow. It can be a way that causes pain or grief. It may actually, in this context, be a word that refers to the sorrow and grief felt by the Holy Spirit when we behave in ways that we shouldn't. You know, Ephesians 4.30 talks about not grieving the Holy Spirit by whom you are sealed unto the day of redemption. And I love the way Jack Hayford talks about walking in the Holy Spirit when he says, we are called to walk in the power of an ungrieved spirit. And when we sense something is wrong, when we sense that we've grieved him, we stop and we go back and we say, are we all right? And, and we fix up whatever it is that's not all right. You know, you can be open to the ministry of the Holy Spirit as fire, and respond to those areas where he highlights something, or you can refuse him and postpone the searching until another day. That, that other day, by the way, in Scripture, is referred to that day as that day. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 says, If anyone builds upon this foundation, gold, silver, precious stone, wood, hay, stubble, each one's work will be revealed, for that day will declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire. And the fire shall try each one's work as to what kind it is. We don't have a choice as to whether we will be searched by fire apart from the fact whether we do it now or then. Whether we will allow the Holy Spirit to burn in us now or whether we will postpone that fire for that day. 
And I want to tell you, that's not a good deal. We open to his presence here and now. And he reveals not for the purpose of condemnation. He doesn't come to say, you rotten slob, you sinner, you filth. He doesn't do that. He points things out because he wants to bring life and health and wholeness and well-being and flourishing to you. He cares profoundly and deeply for your well-being. And when he points something out, he does it with the intention that healing can be your portion. He doesn't just point to it. He points to it with the view to coming in and helping. So never be afraid of those revelations. Added to the fact that he reveals is the second point, is, and, and that's that he purifies. The revelation is unto purity. In Malachi chapter 3, verse 3, it says, He, that's the Lord, shall sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. He shall purify the sons of Levi and purge them as gold and silver. And what Malachi is doing here is referring to the actions of the ancient goldsmith as he would purify metal by fire. What he would do is heat up the gold until it was in a molten state. And in that molten state and with that heat, the impurities of the gold would be released and float to the surface. And the goldsmith would then skim off the slag. Uh, in Ezekiel 24 verse 11, it's describing that process. And, uh, and in that passage, it's, it's talking about the refining of a city of Jerusalem and the skimming off of the slag. And it says, and set it, on, set it empty on its coals so that bronze may be hot and may glow and that its uncleanness may be melted in it and that the scum of it may be burned away. Same process being spoken of there. And apparently the way the goldsmith knew that the impurities were removed was that he would lean over the molten gold and he could see his face reflected in it. And until he could see his face reflected in it, he knew more heat was required. When he could see his face reflected in the molten gold with purity, he knew that the job was done. You know, sometimes during seasons when we're feeling, as it were, the heat of God's testings, some of us say, oh God, where are you? You know, you, you seem to have departed the scene. H have you left me? I want to tell you more often than not in those seasons, he's closer to you than you know. He's leaning over you, as it were, to see if he can see his own face reflected back from, from your life. He's the divine refiner who's looking and saying, is Christ being formed in you? Are you becoming more patient? Are you becoming more gracious? Are you becoming a more loving person? Or is that temper just firing off? In which case, the heat goes up. He cares enough to keep us under that heat until we start to look like him. You know, in Obadiah, it speaks about the flame devouring the house of Esau. And in Scripture, Esau is a picture of the flesh. You know, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 16, talked about Esau as a profane person and as a fornicator, the one who despised his birthright. And the Holy Spirit comes to burn that part of our lives out of us. And we need to let the Spirit burn those Esau-like characteristics out of our lives. You know, the incredible tragedy is when flames come, when testing come, and we don't respond to them. We, we, we respond with anger, with bitterness, with resentment, with blame. 
And Isaiah 42 verse 25 says, and, and it has set him on fire all around, yet he did not know. And it burned him, yet he did not lay it to heart. Here's the fire of God's dealings with Israel and they don't respond. They, they don't even know what's going on. The Amplified Translation says, yet he knew not the lessons of repentance which the Assyrian conquest was intended to teach. These people are being besieged by an enemy. The heat is on and God is wanting a response from them. And they don't respond. They respond with anger, with blame. And they ended up going off into captivity. Instead of being purified by the fire, they were simply blackened by it. So the fire reveals and it purifies. Thirdly, a third characteristic of fire is that gen it generates energy. I look around and see most of you probably not old enough to remember the days of steam trains, but you would have seen them on documentaries for sure. Driven along by virtue of the steam that was generated by fire in the boiler. And though those days have long gone, the idea of fire as an energizing force still remains with us. And we speak of a person and we say of them, oh man, they're really on fire for God. What are we saying? Well, there's a zeal, there's a passion, there's an energy that is directed toward God in that person's life. When the Holy Spirit comes as fire, he takes hold of our lives and makes us as he is. And I tell you, the Holy Spirit is zealous. He's passionate. He's, if I can say it, obsessed, absorbed with the beauty of the Son of God. And he wants to impart that obsession for Jesus to us. He wants Jesus to be your magnificent obsession not just something that you occasionally think about. Go to church on a Sunday, sing a few worship songs. He wants to grip your heart with the beauty of the Son of God. His absorbing passion is to magnify, to mediate, to minister Jesus Christ to us and then through us. And when fire comes, it makes the object that it burns just like itself. Matthew Henry once commented, fire makes all it seizes like itself. In Acts chapter 18, the Bible talks about a man called Apollos. And, the, and it says he was a man instructed in the way of the Lord being fervent in spirit. And the Greek word translated by our English word fervent is the, is the Greek word zeal, and it means to boil as a liquid or to glow as a solid. It's the same word used in Romans chapter 12, verse 11, where it exhorts you and I, be fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. Do you boil as a liquid? Do you glow inside? Is there a fervency in your heart toward the Holy Spirit? Or perhaps in your case, uh, it was like that, but it's not now. You know, something of the fire has gone. Maybe you've been following the Lord for a number of years and that initial enthusiasm somehow seems to have faded. And yeah, you know, you do the right things, but sometimes it's more out of a sense of duty than it is really out of the fervency of a love relationship. That's, that's the very challenge that the Holy Spirit both pointed out and sought to change in the church at Ephesus. He said a lot of things that the church at Ephesus were doing well, and he said, but I have this thing against you. You've lost your first love. Somehow the fire has gone. 
You know what? I, I think there's a connection here, by the way, where in Romans chapter 12, verse 11, it says, be fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. I think it's very difficult to maintain a fervency for the Lord when there isn't a service aspect involved. And this isn't just a pastor trying to drum up volunteers. I want to tell you, when you serve, there is something of the giving of yourself in that service that keeps fire burning. I don't know how many mission trips I've taken over the years. It's many. And I've often taken teams. And the reason I take teams is, of course, I want them to see something of another world. I want them to experience what God is doing in another nation. But one of the things I know is that people that go on trips like that are changed. In seeking to serve the Lord, there is something that transpires. And it happens more in us than it does in terms of the people that we serve. You know, I find it tragic that when we talk about people who are on fire for God, more often than not, we're talking about new converts who are experiencing that first flush of love and excitement. But as I said before, time passes and we allow sometimes the fire, the passion to dim and we become somewhat respectable. It doesn't have to be that way. It doesn't have to dim with the passing of time. It's not an inevitable consequence of the passing of time. You, you look at Daniel's life. And in Daniel chapter six, we have that very famous incident where he is put in the lion's den. And I don't know how, how old you imagine Daniel might be. You know, I remember growing up seeing pictures like that and he was always a young man. In, act, in actual fact, that probably occurred in his, around in his 80s. Okay, so here's a man, an older man now. And the thing that got Daniel into trouble, if you've read Daniel chapter six, was his uninterrupted prayer life. You know, there was a decree passed that nobody could pray except unto the king. And in Daniel chapter six, verse 11, it says these guys who had crafted this, this uh, law to get Daniel into trouble, they assembled and they found Daniel praying and confessing before the Lord. And the Hebrew word for praying there is the word bi'ah, and it comes from a root word that literally means to gush over and to boil, and it speaks about intensity and passion. Here's a man in his 80s who has followed the Lord since he was a young boy, and here in his 80s he's praying with passion, with intensity. The guy's on fire. That word be'ah is used in Isaiah 64 verse 2 where it says, be a spark that starts a fire causing the water to boil. This is a man on fire and bubbling. And he's not a new, new convert caught in the first flush of first love. He's walked with God for decades, but he never let the fire of God go out in his soul. And that's the incredible challenge as we walk with the Lord, to keep that fire burning, fervent in spirit, serving God. And I want to tell you, you won't do it without the ministry of the Holy Spirit burning in your heart, without inviting him on a daily basis saying, come Holy Spirit, capture my heart. Let your magnificent obsession become mine. Let me see Jesus in ways that will cause me to love him more, to be on fire. Fourthly, Fire breaks the cords and restrictions that bind us. In Judges chapter 16, there's the story of Samson and Delilah, and you, you know it, I don't have to tell you the whole story, but she, she bound him up, and, uh, and, and you know, she'd got his secret, so-called, and, and bound him up with, with, some, with new bow cords. And it says, 
so the chief of the Philistines gave her these seven new bow cords, which had never been made dry, and she had them tightly knotted around him. Now she had men waiting secretly in the inner room, and she said to him, the Philistines are on you, Samson. And the cords were broken by him as a twist of thread is broken when it touches a flame. Threads that bound this man and broken by the touch of a flame. You know what? Fire has the power to break cords when the enemy has restricted us in areas. We live in a broken world and we live in a world where demonic activity, although we in the West don't like to think about it, is, is active and people find themselves bound. You know what? I am amazed at the capacity of human beings to be addicted to all kinds of things, whether it be video games, whether it be pornography, whether it be alcohol, whether it be, you, know, you, you name it, we just seem to be able to fill in the blanks in an endless way. There is something about our hearts that, that lean into brokenness and addiction. And at various parts of our journey, we find ourselves caught and we don't know how to get out. Well, I tell you how you get out, the Holy Spirit comes and breaks you out. And the fire of his presence can break those things. You know, I could take you back, you know, 40 years to the time that I got baptized in the Holy Spirit. And I was just a young man seeking God. And, and, but there were parts of my life that were really bound up and, and, and I was caught in some areas. I tell you, I experienced the power of the Holy Spirit and something happened to me. I was probably on the road to alcoholism. I'd come from, I'd come from a background of um, alcoholism. Uh, I was very much into sports in those days and I played sport with people generally in one particular field at least anyway that were older than me and they used to shepherd me after the game into the hotel and I enjoyed the environment. And, uh, and alcohol was becoming increasingly a part of my life. You know, the day I knew that I'd been set free from that potential bondages. It was starting to wind its way around my life. You know, the, the, the crazy thing about bondage is it's too small to be noticed until it's too strong to be broken. And it happens bit by bit by bit. And it was happening to me bit by bit by bit. And something was being set up where I was being caught. I got baptized in the Holy Spirit. You know, something happened so powerfully in my life. I remember to this day, I could take you to the place in Palmerston North where it was as I was walking to a prayer meeting. I was heading off to church and I walked by the pub that I would normally be in probably around that time and being enjoy, and enjoying the company of my friends and, and enjoying the whole environment. And I, I suddenly realized I didn't want to be there. I wanted to be there. I didn't want to be in the hotel getting drunk again. I wanted to be in this prayer meeting. And it hit me like just a blow in the solar plexus. I suddenly realized I'm free in a way that I didn't even know I was bound, but in that split second, I knew something had me and suddenly I'd been set free. My soul has escaped, like the psalmist says, as a bird out of the snare of the fowler. And I don't know what it is that you have a propensity for being addicted in, but I know enough about brokenness to know every single one of us here have that propensity. And it can range, as I say, from video games to obsessive compulsive disorder where we have to do something again and again and again until somehow we kind of feel like we've done it properly. 
And I tell you, the Holy Spirit is the one who can break that thing and can set you, can set you free. We need the ministry of the Holy Spirit. It's his presence that breaks those things, just undoes it. Fifthly, fire softens things. Psalm 68 verse two says, as wax melts before the fire. Fire has the capacity to take things that are hard and reduce them so that they are tender, tender, malleable material. Those materials then can then be stretched to make, uh, and and, and they can create articles of of beauty, of of art, you know, where you see something stretched out and, and worked where previously it could not be. Interesting side or other side of that coin is that fire can harden material too. And whether you are softened or hardened by the flame depends on your reaction to it. There's an old saying that says the same sun that melts the wax hardens the clay. And the, the sun, the fire as it were, that softened Paul from being a Pharisee to being obsessed with a magnificent obsession of Jesus in the kingdom of God, that fire burnt in Pharaoh's heart and made him harder and harder and harder. What's the fire gonna do? God's touch resisted can actually harden you. It's your response. When you sense that something's been grieved or somebody's been grieved, what you do with that becomes incredibly important. I've been talking in the morning meetings about um, the, the leading of the Holy Spirit. And a couple of weeks ago, I talked about responding to the voice of conscience. And when that voice of conscience speaks to you, how you respond becomes incredibly important. You can, you can, you can resist it. You can simply sort of make the claim, as most people in our society do, that, con- that conscience is just a societal construct or a parental construct. But I tell you, when you look at the Word of God, you see that it is neither of those t- two things. It is a creational construct. God has put that inner monitor in you, and He speaks through it, and He's asking you to respond to it. And when you respond to it, it becomes clearer. It's like a skylight that every time you respond to it, it becomes clearer and clearer and clearer. When you, when you step over it, when you stamp it underfoot, it becomes more and more opaque until finally the Bible talks about a conscience being seared. It doesn't respond anymore. It's dead. Our call is to respond to the promptings of the Holy Spirit Respond to your conscience, as Romans 9.1 says, enlightened and prompted by, by the Holy Spirit. Respond and learn to be softened by his touch rather than excuse, rationalize, and justify and be hardened to him. Finally, fire warms and cheers. Isaiah 44 verse 16 says, ah, I am warm, see the fire. Now, although those words come from the mouth of one given to idolatry, the principle is nonetheless true. There is something about fire. I'm I'm not not that keen on winter, but one thing I do love about winter is the open fire. And there is something about coming in from the outside and and the warmth and cheer, and, and sometimes just straight out joy that an open fire brings to us. There is something about the fire of God that warms and cheers our heart. Remember the two guys on the road to Emmaus? They are devastated by the way life has turned out. They had put their hope and trust in this prophet from Nazareth, and suddenly over the last few days, everything had spun on a sixpence and, and he'd been crucified. 
and, and a stranger comes along, starts to walk with them and says to them, what are, you, what are you so despondent about? And they are surprised. They say, you must be the only person in this whole region who doesn't know what has just happened. And he said, what? And they said, Jesus, the one that we thought was the Messiah, the one who would redeem Israel has come and our, our leaders have crucified him. And then from that moment on, the stranger says, oh, foolish and slow of heart to believe. Did you not understand that the scripture said that this needed to happen? And he does the Bible study that I would like to have heard above all Bible studies as he takes them back through the scriptures and he shows them the things concerning himself. And they walk from Jerusalem to Emmaus, probably I think about seven or eight miles. I don't know how long that took. That was probably a couple of hours. I imagine the time went like that. I don't know if you've ever been in a meeting where somebody has been so engaging that when they finish, you stop and think, I can't believe they just spoke for an hour and a half. I know that that doesn't happen very often here. I was in a meeting where Jack Hayford was outlining the book of Revelation one time, and I'm passionate about that book and understanding it. I tell you, he spoke for 90 minutes and it felt like 10. They must have walked for two hours and at the end of it would have liked to go back and say, can we go back and walk again? When he went to go on, they said, no, no, you're not, you're not going anywhere. Come in and stay with us. And of course he did, and you know the story. In the breaking of the bread, they suddenly reveal, they suddenly realized who he was and he, he disappeared from their sight. And that's some Bible study and some ending. And, and they ran all the way back to Jerusalem to tell the apostles and they spoke about it. Did not our hearts burn within us as he spoke? That's what the Holy Spirit does. He grabs your heart. And suddenly your heart's burning on the inside and you're thinking, oh, me too, me too, please, Lord, me too, I want that. That's the ministry of the Holy Spirit. He's, he's the fire. He reveals, he purifies, he softens and energizes, he releases, he cheers and encourages. And all I can say to that is, so... Come, Holy Spirit. Would you come? We need you. Without you, we're in deep weeds. We're in trouble. But when you come, all is well. Set yourself to obey the Holy Spirit's promptings. As you hear them through the voice of your conscience, as you hear it in the Christian community, as you hear it through the voice of your friends, when you recognize it's Him, don't excuse yourself. Don't justify, don't rationalize, just respond. Think, I've got, to, I've got to see that changed. I've got to be different. Holy Spirit, come, help me. And I tell you, He will. Thanks for listening. We hope it was an encouragement to you. Again, check out gatewaychurch.org.nz to find out what's going on within our church.